Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone This is Fran Lewis and it's pouring outside But wait till you hear what this book is about beneath the marigolds oh my god this is so original you're going to all want to read it as a matter of fact wendy from partners in crime has it on her get it now list and a successful lawyer infiltrates an exclusive singles retreat on a remote island off the coast of hawaii risking everything to find her best friend reese who disappeared under mysterious circumstances only to realize that she herself may never get off the island alive. Whoa, this is really cool. So good morning, Emily, and welcome to MJ Network. This book is so good, I couldn't put it down. Seriously. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. Oh, that makes my day. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah, well, let me tell you, I've been getting some books that I want to put down after I read the first paragraph. So this is really good. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got hands out for it, so... What, what would you tell, what's a short summary, and why? How did you come up with this storyline? You know, I've read thousands, seriously, thousands of books, and this is this is different. That's probably why I like it, because it's not just a mystery thriller. It's a book that has a topic that nobody else wrote on. So how did you come up oh, with this? You. Oh, gosh. I Let's see. I, I love reality dating shows. I think some people assume I don't, since some aspects of the book maybe critique the process, but I actually do love reality dating shows. And I was just watching one one day, and I was trying to think of a new concept for a book, and I just thought, you know, I feel like one of these days something really wrong is going to go, is going to happen mm-hmm. on one of these shows, you know, because the stakes are so high, emotions are high. A lot of times they don't, like, eat that much, they drink too much, they don't sleep a lot, and so I just thought, that would be such a great concept for a book. And, um, and the actual, like, storyline went through a lot of different iterations with, like, different characters, different points of view. But I always kept coming back to that premise because I thought, I feel like no one's done that before, and I feel like it could happen, and I mm-hmm. feel like it would make for some great conflict. All I could tell you is that, you know, if you've ever joined one of these dating services... I was doing some research for something and I tried one. Oh my god. First of all, they lie. They lie about a lot they of things. Do? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they That's lie. I mean, I I I you know, you you go in there and one of them was called uh together. And I had to give a picture and a blah blah blah. And they had a picture of me. And then they you show you pictures of these potential whatever they are, and then they lie about their age. You know, you crack up sometimes like, "Oh my god." So did you uh, research reality shows? I mean, there's The Bachelorette, The Bachelor, and all that stuff. Did you research them? Because these reality shows in a reality retreat, boy, she was taking a trance. Yes, I did. Well, 
I want to get back to to the line because that sounds interesting. But, um, yeah, but they, yeah, they do that. The Trust me. Um, so, yes, uh, I did do a ton of research on different shows. I didn't want to, you know, mimic one entirely just because I didn't – I wanted it to be original and I didn't want to get in trouble with any of but, um, mm-hmm. but, yes, I did do a lot of research on just kind of the similarities between the shows. And a lot of the similarities are just kind of the way that they're run um, and kind of the emotional manipulation that goes on in these shows um, and specifically just kind of the, the not eating a lot, not sleeping a lot, um, a lot of drinking. And so that was kind of the one thing that I tried to incorporate into Last Chance, mm-hmm. which is the fictional um, singles retreat and beneath the marigolds. Oh, there's going to be more. Oh, I can't wait. Oh gosh, finally something I actually want to read more now. Why did oh, Honey yes, try to talk people. her out Sorry. of it? And who are the major players at this retreat? I mean, I know people that have gone to retreats, religious retreats, or something like that. But to meet people, hmm, you're really taking your life in your hands, especially since they can't get off the island without their help. Oh, my gosh, I know. Um, repeat that first part of your question. I didn't quite catch it. Um, why did what, Who are the major players at this retreat? Who is there in charge? And why did Honey, before she went there, try to talk her out of it? Oh, okay. Good question. So the major players at the retreat, there are so many. Um, <laughs> so there's Anne, mm-hmm. who's the who's one of the protagonists, probably the main protagonist, and she's the one who goes in search of Reese, who's her friend and her sponsor, um, and she went on last chance, you know, about a month before Anne did. Um, so Anne and Reese are the protagonists, and they're participants, um, so in that way they're big players. Um, they're obviously not behind the scenes. And then um, Honey's involvement won't, that won't be clear until the end of the book, but she is uh, mm. Anne's friend, and she does not want Anne to go because Ruth went missing, and she went missing under mysterious circumstances. They don't really know why, um, but the last place she was seen was the singles retreat, so Honey is trying to tell her friend, I don't think this is a good idea. You don't even like this sort of thing. I don't think you're mm-hmm. going to get the answers you're looking for. So that's why she's hesitant in the beginning for, for Anne to go. And they've been friends for a long time. You know what got me really nervous is that they actually <laughs> tell you what you're allowed to do and when you're allowed to do it. I mean, you're paying for this, whatever, and then they're telling you you can't do this, you have to wear that. I mean, how does Anne's voice at a time, now we have to talk about her missing friend, why she went there was Reese. So the problem is, why would anybody want to go there? Why didn't she look to see that they actually tell you what you have to wear and how you, and how you have to look and what you're allowed to do something? That would drive me crazy. Forget that. I know. I I personally could never go on one of these, these reality dating shows. Um, but do you mean, like, why would Anne do this or why would anyone in kind of this fictional world do this? Why would a fictional world do that? I mean, how did you create that? I mean, you don't know. We, you may, we go on a retreat and you might have to do certain things the way they want you to do them because they probably have a time, time schedule because you're only there for a certain a bit of time. Yeah. I mean, I would say I've seen, I feel like people will do some crazy 
sort of unrealistic mm-hmm. things in order to find love. Um, and I see that all the time, you know, in the real world. And I feel like especially mm-hmm. sort of between the ages of like 24, maybe 35, that feels like a high pressure situation because you feel like you need to settle down and get married. And I think people will take kind of drastic lengths in order to to find someone that they want to spend the rest of their life with. And so I think it needs to stop and look at their options. And in addition, you get to go to this beautiful island. Um, I think that some people would be willing to to go along with some sort of unconditional rules in order to have this experience. So we, we meet Reese. You did this in two separate timelines, so we get to know her. What were Reese's mm-hmm. pitfalls with men? And why did Riz hit Nick, and how come he comes into Anne's life? I wanted to hit him, too. Um, So Riz, she trusts very easily, and she's, I really, like, love Riz. I think some readers. Yeah, me, too. She's she's a little bit naive. She's a little bit idealistic, and I think that that gets her into trouble because she often doesn't, maybe the darker side of people or their ulterior motives. She just always sees the best in people. Um, so that's sort of her downfall. And then Anne's the opposite. She's a little bit more guarded. She does not trust people as much. And Anne and Reese meet because uh, they're both in recovery. And so Reese, and if anybody's not familiar with, with how recovery works, in AA or NA or any um, anonymous program, you have you work the 12 steps and you have what's called a sponsor, and the sponsor is sort of your single person who helps you, um, you know, first give up substances and then sort of lean, lead a clean life. So Reese has been Anne's sponsor for 10 years, um, and that is how they met. Now, the person I really didn't trust and like is Christina. The minute you meet her, you know, I'm very perceptive. You know, I walk into a room and I can tell you right away who I'm going to hate and who I'm going to like. Seriously. I can tell you in 10 seconds. (laughs) Really. She's cold-hearted. You you could tell right away. And and she she reminds me of somebody I used to work with that loved gossip, especially gossip that was bad. On other people. Mm. So why do you meet her and send up red flags? And how did you create her? She's evil. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, how did I create her? I I don't know. I, I guess I just wanted the, I wanted the retreat to be, she actually went through a lot of different iterations herself. And I can't really spoil it, but she did go through some changes from when I first wrote her. Um, but I always wanted readers to be very suspicious of her. I wanted there to be sort of this mysterious background. I wanted her to do things that readers that kind of like put up some red flags that you weren't really sure why. I wanted that to all play into the mystery um, of what's going on. So I think it's, I mean, it's pretty obvious from the beginning that this is going to be like a reality show because that's how it's marketed. Um, but you don't really know why, and you don't know the ins and outs. And so she was kind of the vehicle for creating a lot of that suspense and that mystery. So why does she try to orchestrate the events 
And how do we know that there is more to this than meets the eye? How does she orchestrate events? Um, how does she well, how does she create the schedules for people? And why in heaven blazes did they listen? My goodness. Yeah, um, I'm trying to trying to say this without giving too much away. So you don't give it away. Yeah, no, so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the way that she so the way that the retreat is set up is sort of similar to like other reality dating shows, like um, like Bachelor in Paradise is probably the closest um, in terms of how it works, but. You go on Bachelor in Paradise and Bachelor in Bachelorette. Um, it's on ABC. And so the participants will go on like one-on-one dates or, or with one other person, and then they'll have group dates where they'll be with maybe like six or seven other participants. Um, and you'll sort of rotate through just to make sure that you meet everyone. And the more that you meet people, if you find someone that you have a connection with, then you'll go on more dates with them. That's sort of how it's supposed to work. How it ends up working is a little bit different. Um, but on the surface, that is how the retreat is supposed to work. wonder if real retreats are like that, too. Oh, God. I imagine some of them might know. be like that also. I don't know either, and I wouldn't want to know. Seriously. No, I... I would never, never do one of these things. So, but more power to you if you do, because I feel like it would be an experience, you know. Not me. So now there's another guy yeah. here. Hmm. Luca. What does he have to do with Reese? And who is? Oh, I like Lamb. What about her relationship with Lamb? And who are the other women at the retreat with Anne? It's like two different timelines. So what about Luca? How does he come into play with Reese? Uh, I like so Reese, poor is, baby. I know, I know, I like her too. She means so well, and she just, you know. Um, but Luca is an ex-boyfriend of Reese's um, from before when she went from. Um, it was prior to going to the retreat, so I believe it was six or seven years prior. Um, and it was someone she dated, and. It was kind of like a lot of other men that restated at first. You know, it seems great, and then he turns out to be a little bit more controlling, maybe a little bit more emotionally and physically manipulative. Um, so Anne has never liked him. She always thought that he was there's some red flags. Um, so, so he's one of the first people that, when Reese initially goes missing, uh, the police look into and Anne looks into. Um, but it turned out he's been in L.A. for, because the uh, recent years are in Nashville. Um, and Luca moved to L.A. like six years prior. He had an alibi, so it turned out he couldn't have had anything to do with it. Um, so that is his story with Reese. Well, then we meet Lamb. What about her relationship with Lamb? And who are the other women at the Ritchie with Anne? I don't trust any of them. Being honest, <laughs> seriously. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to know who's, yeah, what everybody's motivations are. Um, so Lamb is the guy that Reese meets initially, and Reese is also sort of she falls in love really easily. It doesn't take a lot for her, so she meets him. 
the first night or one of the first nights and just immediately falls head over heels for him, um, thinks that they have a great connection because they have a lot of similarities in their past. It's almost like too many coincidences, but of course, because it's Reese and she just sees the best, he thinks that this is a match made in heaven. So they start out really hot and heavy. um, And as the retreat progresses, he ends up having, you know, there's some, I can't scroll too many things, but um, as the retreat goes on, it becomes apparent that maybe he was around when Reese went missing. So and who is Ned? Ned. I loved Ned. He ended up getting cut a Me lot. Me too. I love Ned problems. too, but he helps Anne. He helps Anne. Uh, he does. So he is um, an associate attorney. So Anne is a, a partner at a corporate law firm, and then yeah. Ned is one of her associates who's kind of, you know, in the rank of that firm partners in Associate. A little bit um, they help partners with different cases. If anybody's not familiar with how um, law firms work, then Ned is an associate and ostensibly he's supposed to be there to help Anne get the cases that she has um, and her clients when she goes to this retreat because the retreat's like a month long. Um, mm-hmm. But Anne ends up getting him to help sort of with the retreat itself because she is, I mean, her ulterior motive in going there is to find out what happens. So she gets Ned to help her research uh, the retreat itself, the players like Christina, um, and of course Reese, and he's kind of Anne's lifeline to Nashville and to law enforcement while Anne is gone. Um, And I loved him. I thought he was great. He ends up getting cut a lot in the editing process, but mm. he, you know, uh, he's one of my favorite characters for sure. <laughs> well, what gets me about worried is that when you go to these retreats, you have to give up your phone in any way to connect with anybody, and that that would drive most people crazy. I mean, you, yes. you want to be able to connect with your family or something is wrong or if they have an emergency and you're not going to know. And at one point when they said to her or or someone else, you're willing to leave, I wonder if they would have not drowned them in the in the lake or whatever to get it out of there. I don't trust them at all. So yeah. who is who is Henry? Uh, so Henry is kind of Christina's right-hand man. He helps her with the retreat uh, yeah. and just scheduling, um, making sure that – well, the dates go according to plan. Um, so ostensibly that is his role. So he is he helps Christina with anything that she needs. So he is a like crew member on this retreat. And then as far as like the phones go, I took that directly from a lot of reality dating shows do that. I know the the bachelor will do that, they'll take away their phones. Um, and I thought that you know, one that's really interesting that people are willing to go without their phones for that mm. long um, And I thought that, that would also make for really good sorts of conflict in in a um, in a mystery and thriller book. And I do feel like I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like technology has it's kind of made uh, mystery and thriller writers' jobs harder because nowadays you can find out anything you want on a phone almost instantaneously. 
Um, we just have it at our fingertips. And so when you're trying to solve like a crime, when you're trying to figure out a mystery, if you suddenly don't have a landline or that you know, computer that's right in your hand, I think it makes for a much more interesting story. So it also became sort of a literary device for me in addition to being a real thing that happens on reality dating shows. You'd be amazed at what they could find out. It's scary sometimes. I know. And I get emails from people that um, ask me all sorts of questions. You know, how come you wrote? I write from the point of view of the dead body behind the gravestone. And I don't have to worry about them having technology, except I talk about why they got. There's somebody that's bad that did something. When my sister died, I couldn't believe she was gone. So I went to the cemetery and I talked to her stone. And I said, if you could tell me. What's wrong and what happened, what would you say? Then I walked around and asked people I didn't know. I said, if you could tell your story, what would you say? So the first one, Faces Behind the Stones, four stories are based on real-life incidents. They really did happen. Yeah. And and the other three, just my sick imagination, what can I say? And then, yeah, people like it. So how did you link yeah. both voices together so we know that things are not what they seem? You linked Therese, and then you linked Anne in both timelines. And sometimes when people mm-hmm. run into timelines, I want to cry because, oh, my God, why am I doing this? So <laughs> how did you con- – yeah, you'd be surprised, especially when it's historical. Yeah. You can really lose it. Well, when there's some yeah. of the authors that write in five, in five timelines at the same time, and I'm going, um, let me get my graphic organizer because I'm a reading specialist, and I'll figure out what to do. So yeah. how did you connect the, the, the two timelines so that – they don't see they're not we know we know that that's not what they seem yeah uh the two timelines is really difficult um for so many reasons and i feel like i still didn't like perfect it like i'm still looking back i'll read it and i'll be like oh i could have made that better but um <clears throat> i guess i rewrote his point of view like five times maybe um because you know, they are at the same retreat. They're meeting a lot of the same people, and it's only a month apart. And so I needed to make sure that the voices were really, really different. Um, and Anne's was a little bit easier for me to write because it was kind of more how I act and speak. And then Reese was just, you know, sort of Anne's foil. Um, so I, I mean, I rewrote her so many times just to make sure she sounded different enough that it wouldn't confuse readers. And even now, I'm like, I feel like I still could have, done it a little bit better um but i do i do really think that multiple points of view are a great literary tool for writers because especially in thrillers so much of the tension mm-hmm. relies on that dramatic irony you know what do the readers know that the characters don't and so when you have two points of view and one's coming you know whether it's from behind the grave or just um another character who has vanished, that is just such a great way to ramp up the tension and reveal things to the reader that the other characters don't know yet. So I do love different points of view just from a literary technique because it's so helpful in building that, that tension. Well, you have to know how to do it right. And trust me, I can tell yeah. you how many have done it wrong. <laughs> so what happens yeah. when Reese disappears and then Lamb, I wanted to cry, and what excuse does Christina give? Well, she's, hmm, watch out for that one. Oh, say that one more time. I can hear it. What happened to, to Lamb? 
Go on. Sorry, can you, uh, sorry, I couldn't hear your question. What was it? Your, could you repeat your question? Can you hear me? Uh, I can. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, could you repeat the question? I didn't catch it. The question is, um, how does what happens when Reese disappears and then Lamb? And what does Christina say? Uh, so Christina says, you know, it has nothing to do with the retreat. Um, <clears throat> we saw her leave. There are even records of Reese on an airplane out of. They have to go to Hawaii to uh, to leave the retreat. The retreat's like on an island, sort of off of Hawaii, a private island. Um, so Christina's really adamant in saying that this has nothing to do with the retreat. Um, we saw her leave. Everything was fine here. And that's her position. And she has a lot of evidence to back that up. And because she's Anne and doesn't really trust anybody, doesn't trust that, she doesn't believe that, and just in her gut, she feels like that is wrong. Um, but that's Christina's position on it, is that the retreat had nothing to do with it. So who is Magna? Who is Magna? Magna is Magda. The, she is the makeup artist. So there's a makeup artist and there's a stylist mm. on the retreat. Um and that's sort of taken from reality shows. I think that in some cases, like I know on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, they'll have that for, like, the lead. They won't have it for everybody. But I thought that would be much more interesting if there were sort of a makeup artist and a stylist on the island. Um, so their purpose is to make the participants look better, um, you know, ostensibly for the other participants so they're looking great. It is a little bit weird. It's unusual. And so I think that's one of the mysteries leading in. It's like, why are these people here? They knew they were going to be there, but it is like this seems a little bit unnecessary. But it is a really expensive singles retreat. It's very luxurious. It's very over the top. So I think that that's sort of the the reason on the surface is just this is a really over the top retreat. This is mm. like what comes with your package. So that is that is Magda's job. Um, with every character, there are a lot of characters in this book, um, and I was really worried that that readers would have a hard time; they wouldn't be able to remember them. And then I myself have a lot of trouble have a lot of trouble with names. And so, with every character, except for the protagonist um, and the antagonist, they all like have alliteration. So with Magda, she's the makeup artist, Stephanie is the stylist, um, and then all the participants that usually have something to do with like their job or their appearance. Um, so I tried to do that in order to help readers and to help myself. So I hope that helped. I don't know if it did, but that was why they're named the way they are. Well, I, I, I remember everything, and that's why my questions you know, deal with the the characters and what they do. If I don't know something, yeah. I'm going to ask the author before I do my review. Which, uh, by the way, yeah. is on. Everybody's. I, I I can't believe this. I posted it last night because I knew I had something to do at eight o'clock this morning. Mm-hmm. I said, well, let me get this posted last night. I can't tell you how many people read it in five minutes. 
Really? I can't. I was like, and I don't even know who they are. I have no clue who some of these people are. And out of nowhere, I mean, like 10 people read the review. I go, you see, get the book. Then you'll be able to read more than the review. So why does everybody have to wear what she picks out? I wouldn't. And how come no food after breakfast? How rude is that? That's not good. What if somebody has, you know, hypoglycemia or something like that? I don't know. I know. Um, yeah, so I guess with what they wear. Um, so this is all part of the mystery of the retreat is, like, there are these rules, and they don't make sense a lot. Um, but as far as that they wear, Stephanie, and really, it, I mean, it's to make them look better. It's part of, like, this package that you're going to look your best and put your best foot forward. And then as far as the eating goes, um the reason for that that Christina gives and that the retreat gives is that uh, just you don't you want to focus on your date, not as much on food. Of course, because it is a reality show. In those reality shows, you can't eat like while you're on camera because it would mess mm. with the audio. Um, so that was the reason for that, like the true reason. Uh, but the reason that uh, the like the crew and the retreat told participants is just to look your best and to focus on the date at hand. Um, yeah, so that is, that is why that happened. Um, and then also the eating. Another sort of like ulterior motive behind the eating is sort of the less you eat, the more emotional you get. Um, and this is a real thing that happens on reality shows because they like eat at weird times and they can't eat on camera. Oftentimes they don't end up eating, like, enough, and that can lead to really high emotions, which then leads to a lot of drama, which is the ultimate mm. goal of these shows. So it's the same in, in this book. That is the ulterior motive for doing that. Well, what would happen if somebody got sick then because they needed to eat? I mean, there are people <sighs> that actually people? have to eat, you know, because <laughs> they get sick. Obviously they don't care. <laughs> Yeah, do you mean in my fictional world or in, like, real reality shows? That's scary. That is so scary. And the yeah. side of the fact that you're not really getting to know, I'm saying this is just my brilliant, brilliant, who knows. Um, I mean, <laughs> you, you meet these people on the island. Let's say you meet them when you get off the island. They're a whole different person. Here's this person yeah. that looks so perfect or whatever, and what if she comes with a sweatshirt like me and leggings, some little, so I could wear anything. And, yeah, you, I don't feel like getting dressed up to go to the park or go here or there, and you don't know how to dress or what the other person looks like, and all of a sudden the guy doesn't look the same, does he? I mean, that's scary. Yeah, and I've, yeah, and I've read that from a lot of, like, interviews that, like, former Bachelor and Bachelorette contestants have given and, like, Love Island, um, Mm -hmm. they'll say that exact thing. They're, like, it's just a manufactured, like, world when you're on these shows because it is, it's, like, so glamorous and it's so beautiful and you're only seeing sort of this one manufactured side of people. They're kind of best foot. And it's not grounded in reality, and so I think that's why a lot of relationships fail after these shows because it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't totally mimicking how reality works. And so I do think that you can also sort of get caught up in the in the glamour of it too. So 
I definitely tried to mimic that aspect of how those real reality shows work. And then I was reading this one, um, I won't say who it is, but, I mean, he just gave an interview about his relationship, and he mm-hmm. called it, like, a trauma bond. Like, he went so far to say that, and I was like, that's a little intense. But I do think that, in a lot of ways, like, it's a little bit traumatic because you are putting these, like, very weird, high-intensity situations, and you go with mm. someone, and after it's done, it's like, I don't know if that was real or if that was just my yeah. emotions being translated. But I think it's a really, really interesting, like, concept just to put someone in these, like, kind of fake worlds and see how they interact and then see how it, see what happens once that world disintegrates. I just think that that is, like, such an interesting I don't know, like experimental. <laughs> I know, I know people that have done this, and I mean, like I said, oh, you join really? these uh, dating services, and you 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 know give your honest opinion, and then when the person comes, he's ninety years older than you, and he's not anywhere oh near gosh. the picture that's in there that you meet. Yeah. And then they walk to the door, and they go like, I mean, I had one guy that looked at me, and I he must have been, I must have been in my late thirties. And he was like 20-something. And I said, why did you tell them you were 40? And he looked at me and says, you know, you're very pretty, but you're too old for me. I go, like, I don't really care because I didn't like you anyway. Right. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's kind of like rude, too. Yeah. Well, I can, okay, I can sort of see why people would say that they were younger, but I've never heard yeah. of someone saying that they were older than they are. That's, I mean... Interesting, but yeah, yeah they do. I do think I've done that too on those like dating like apps. Um, the thing that I find that most people lie about, especially guys, is height. Like whatever yeah. height that the guy says, I'm like it's actually two inches shorter in reality. So whatever you say, it's going to be two inches shorter. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what what oh. services did you use? I'm little, so it doesn't matter. So the the fun part is the fun part. Well, before I forget, I better not forget. Tomorrow, be there at ten when Nancy Allen, who writes with James Patterson, talks about power mm-hmm. of attorney. Talk about a phenomenal mm-hmm. series. That in Jailhouse yep. Lawyer. Oh my God! On the thirtieth, Matt Coyle, Last Redemption. On the second, this is kind of like a wild title. Pickled Pink and Parrots. Interesting. Um, the yeah, Council of the Cunning in the 6th. And on the 8th, I do a lot of panel shows. This one's going to be talking about how the publishing industry has been impacted by this miserable virus that doesn't want to leave. I really wish it would die for a slow death. Yeah. On the 14th, uh, Nancy Walker. On the 16th, Cliff Diver. And on the 20th, what way a better way to end December than with Deb Pines? A Plague Among Us. And I am so honored that in January, on the 5th, New York Times author Mark Cameron, who writes Tom Clancy, is going to join me for an interview at 12 o'clock. That is a special wow. time, yeah, because he doesn't live in New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to wow. do it. So the fun part is how did you create the scenery? Because it's beautiful despite everything. How did you create mm-hmm. that, and what is the significance of the marigolds? I like marigolds. I do too. Um, 
the scenery was one of the most fun things for me to write, um, just because it was so beautiful. And, you know, I feel like writing is one of those times where you can just imagine, like, even more than any other medium of storytelling, you can be like, I can imagine this to be the most beautiful you could imagine. Um, But I did look up real, like, tropical islands in that area just to make sure that what I was describing could actually grow there. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. a little bit was based on my imagination, but a lot was based on sort of the the climate and the, like, naturally occurring plants and animals that would be there. Um, Like, one thing I always looked up was time. So I'd be like, what what time is it there? What time does the sun rise? What time does it set? I feel like there are all these details in your writing that you don't think about when you're a reader. But anyway, so the description, that's where it came from. And I I think there's something very, like, inherently mysterious and sort of suspenseful about luxury. I was listening to a podcast that Ruth Ware did, and she called it, stifled luxury. And I think she was talking about Agatha Christie at the time. Um, but I feel like she hit the nail on the head. Like there is something so suspenseful about sort of luxury that's gone awry. And so mm. I love writing about it because it's beautiful, but I also feel like it sort of has this inherent like dark side to it. And readers are naturally sort of suspicious of anything that seems too good to be true. So, um, so I tried to mirror sort of the too good to be true aspect of the retreat by portraying that with the island itself. It's beautiful, but it's evil, people. Right. So right. Anne realizes there's a problem. So who does she expect to help her? How does she know which people on the island to trust? Because basically you don't know who to trust. So how does she go about asking for help in order to realize what's really what's really happening? Yeah, I mean, she really doesn't trust anyone because um, she she really doesn't know. The I would say the only person she her. really trusts. Yeah. <laughs> um, eventually, I think I mean she learns who was trustworthy and who wasn't. But I mean, not until like even. I mean, even the climax, she wasn't sure who to trust. So I would say the only person that she really trusted throughout the whole process was Ned. And that's why I love Ned so much. And I hope yeah, readers I like him, too, too. Because he, yeah, he was sort of her, like, um, one constant in a really um, just, like, unsettling situation where she doesn't feel like she can trust anyone and everything isn't as it seems. Now, without giving it away, what happens when she's cornered? How, how does she when deal with that? Oof. Um, I, would, I mean, she's kind of a fighter, so she has a natural inclination to fight back, and not, not necessarily physically, but just using her other... Um, what happens when, when Christina sort of finds out what she's up to? She basically tells her to stop because <laughs> um, Christina's like, hey, you're supposed to be on this retreat for finding love, and you're not doing that, so I need you to basically cut it out. And Anne, because she needs to stay on the retreat longer, like 
you know, she says she's going to do it, um, but in reality, she's going to keep looking. Um, and as the, the book goes on, it becomes much more serious. Um, yeah, and Anne's really, really smart, and I think that's her main main source of defense is she mm. she can figure stuff out, and so. Um, so a lot of times she uses, like, her intelligence and her, she just has a good survival. So that's what she does when she gets back. Now, how did you create the final scenes? Because I was getting nervous, to be honest. <laughs> no, seriously. That just because I read it. I did read this. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, honestly, I need to give a lot of credit to my editor, um, because I struggled with wrapping it up and making sure that it was, I don't know if you feel this way, but writing a conclusion for a mystery or thriller is so, like, stressful because you feel like readers have read everything and you want to make sure it's a good twist mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that it was worth the ride, sort of. So I really struggled with that and making sure that it did, like, live up to expectations and um, my editor, Helga Shear, she's just so helpful, and she's done this for a long time, and so she helps me sort of finesse the final scenes. And for if anybody's listening to this and they are a writer, definitely get a good editor because they will help you, and they know, and they've been working for a long time, and they'll make sure that, that the ending and the climax and the resolution are sort of worth it in the end. Well, you're lucky because it's very hard to get a good publishing company to do that. And my last book, Population Zero, um, I was an independent publishing company. I won't say which one. And unfortunately, they did. I had a line editor, a copy editor, a content editor, and they really didn't do much. All they did was like outline, you know, highlight what they thought I should fix. But I said, but you didn't tell me how to fix it. So I sort of oh, had to go so on my own to fix it. They did oh, nothing wow. to tell me. And then when it came, when the book finally came out, and it's really good, uh, when it finally mm-hmm. finally came out, they did nothing to promote it, and it was a lot of money. Wow. And from what I understand, oh, for wow. independent publishers, you're not supposed to have to pay. It was a lot of money, and they wanted another yeah. four thousand dollars to promote it. And I said I could do it myself. So it's kind yeah. of like you got to really be lucky. So um, we have a few more minutes. Yep. What about both of their journeys? Reese and Anne, what about them yeah. were the same? And did Anne learn anything about herself after what happens? Yes. And that, I want to go back to, to the editors um, at some point because I, I feel like I got some good advice that might help other writers out there. But, yes, Anne says what she learns about herself. Um, oof. What do I want to say without giving it away? No, don't say. Uh, I know. I'm trying to think. Uh, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard discussing mystery and thriller books because so much of it you don't want to give away. But mm. I will say Anne definitely changes for the better by the end of the book. Um, her character arc is always the most significant as other promise. Because mystery and thriller, you know, the emphasis is on the twist. Um, more so than, like, character arc. But I do think that by the end of it, you know, Reese's influence and her, um, 
sort of her outlook on life, which is so positive and so a little bit idealistic, but ultimately very positive. I would say that that ends up rubbing off on Anne because Anne can be a little bit too skeptical. Um, so mm-hmm. in that way, I, I think she changes for the better. And I think so like So do you think after um, reading this book that people might not want to go on a reality show or might think twice before trying one out? I don't know. I think, I mean, I almost feel like reality dating shows are getting more popular. You know, there are more iterations, like, every time I turn on the screen. Um, Because, of course, there's The Bachelor, Bachelorette. That was kind of the original one. Um, And then there was, what was that new one? Love is Blind. That one that came out on Netflix. So I almost feel like they're getting more popular. And I do think it goes back to, I think that people do sort of crazy things for love. Um, And especially if you're at sort of that like prime age group. Um, So I, I don't know, maybe people would be scared, but it is fiction and, you know, nothing like that has happened in real life. So who knows, but I, I actually think it's getting more popular. Well, where do you see – I get the feeling that this is not done yet. Are you going to bring Anne back for another book? I I think for for right now I'm going to move on to another project um, just because I've been working on this book. For, you know, this is my first one, and I've been working on it for so long. Um, it's been like over four years at this point. And it is – I mean, it's like my baby. You know, I've spent so much time on it. Um but I think just now, like artistically, I, I want to move on and try something new. Um, and I did end it at a point where I, I feel like readers would feel satisfied by that ending. Um, never say never. I could maybe, like, in the far future come back to it. But I think in the immediate future, I'm going to try to do a different standalone book. The last line of the book is really pretty. It's not going to give anything away. It's just it's just perfect. From another woman with the eyes, the color of the sea, eyes that still watch over me from somewhere beneath the marigolds. That That is so perfect because I often, you know, when my sister died, I, I like, where are you to tell me when the weather is going to rain? Where are you controlling? She used to say she controlled the weather. So if I call her up and I would say, Marsha Joyce, which is my network is named after her MJ network, I would say to Marsha Joyce, it's raining. And she would say to me, give me five minutes. It actually was really weird. The sun would come out. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was until this day. Yesterday, this morning, I said, it's raining. And I looked out outside when I walked out, it stopped raining. It's weird, wherever she is. That's so beautiful. how did you come up with that last line of the book? And why Beneath the Marigold? That's so nice. Uh, again, this is a lot has to do with my editor. So, uh, so initially the book was called. I know. Um, initially, the book was called the retreat, and then we ended up changing it because Sarah Pierce, who wrote the sanatorium, um, she has a book, I think, coming out like January or February, and it's called the retreat. And Sarah Pierce is a best-selling author, and so I'm not. <laughs> Uh, my publisher and my editor were like, no, this. And so we went through a lot of different options. Um, and eventually we settled on Beneath the Miracles. 
for a few different reasons. At first, I actually did not like that title, and I can't say why, but I was afraid that it would spoil the ending, and then my editor gave me this, like, beautiful reason um, for the title, which was, you know, so much of the book is Anne searching for Reese and trying to figure out what happened to her, and Reese's full name is Reese Marigold, and so Marigold in a way, sort of symbolize Reese and her friendship with Anne. Um, so mm. beneath the marigold is Anne trying to figure out what happened to her friend mm. with Marigold, and along the way she discovers, mm. you know, a lot about herself and a lot about the retreat, um, some good and some bad. And so that's sort of where the title came from. And so when we decided on the title and I was reworking the ending, I really – I like kind of near endings, and so I wanted to end with the title. I just thought that would be a great way to wrap it up. Um, so that didn't come in until maybe like the third round of edits, and we had just changed the title. I'm trying to look for my review, which is going to come up, because I have a habit of doing that also. Let me see if I did that with yours. I hope I did. I'll explain it in a minute. Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> But, yep, I did. I have a habit of doing that. On my as a last sentence, friendships that were forged, dates that were manipulated, and what does lie underneath those flowers that grow so fast? What is beneath the marigold? That's my last sentence yeah. of your review. Oh, I love and, that. Oh, what a great review! I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it's it's one of my better ones. <laughs> really? And uh-huh. I just hope that there's I'm nothing honored. wrong with it. Um, my Microsoft Word. For some reason, the spell check is very disturbed. And okay. for some reason, when I, even I type something, I have to fix the promo I blog took. So I'm looking at it. I know I spelled the words right. And for some reason, everything's coming out wrong. I don't know why. And the other day, oh, I did put a review out of one of a book. And the book, the book review was fantastic. And then the publicist said, I don't know how to tell you this. I said, don't tell me. Yeah, I, I correct everything. And I read it over, print it out and everything. And then when I want to save everything, it unsaves itself. So I hope there's no mistakes, but if I did, oh, well, blame it on my computer. Oh my I try. <laughs> if everyone makes spelling mistakes and grammar mistakes, yeah. even even professional writers, that's why we have so many editors. So I really, it's, I do not care about that kind of thing, you know. I, I also feel like it's always the intention behind it, and I can always tell when someone really had good intentions and if there's a misspelling in there I don't care at all you know <laughs> no I don't I don't worry about it in a book either because I blame it on the other person because it's not my fault but um <laughs> when it's on a review I got really upset because I said oh my god this is ridiculous and now as I was on the station with you my I'm helping my niece with um and the science thing I'm not anatomy and physiology I'm learning a lot and she needed me to um help her out the other day, so I helped her write the notes, and I said, before you dare to hand it in, you better send it to me so I could correct your spelling, because I want to make sure it's perfect. <laughs> don't don't ask. Yeah. I mean, what, I'm yeah. a reading and writing specialist. I'm, a, I'm licensed, and I can tell you how to assess a child properly in reading and what you should know and what you should not know, and the right way to do right. it and not. And I said to her, what do I know about anatomy and physiology? I learned a lot about the heart, the muscles, breathing, and a whole mm. bunch of stuff. And I said, oh, my God. So what is next for you, and where can everybody get a copy of this book? And my UPS guy is going to love me this week because she's getting this one, too. 
He he, he loves me. He literally oh my says, God, what do you got? So awesome. And I'm the only person who he brings the book to and puts him in front oh. of my door because he knows there's going to be something waiting for him. I only oh give him God. the good that ones. So the, awesome. the other ones I don't. Fran, you're my new favorite person. Um, <laughs> let's see where you can get the book. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Um, if you're in Nashville, that's where I, I live, uh, Parnassus Books has it. Um, you can get it from the CamCat website, which is my publisher. And really, I mean, anywhere they sell books online, Target and Walmart, I know you can get it there. Um, and then if they don't have it somewhere, always request it. That always helps. Um, and then what's next for me, so right now I'm in graduate school for, for teaching. So that is consuming a lot of my time right now. Um, but I'm hoping this summer I have more chance to write because I would love to continue to write and to publish books. Um, I'd like to do a, a new sort of world and premise and new characters. So that is my hope. We'll see if that happens, but that's my goal for now. Well, I just got an email from New York Times author Claire Douglas. This book was fantastic, just like the other girls. She just wants an interview. I was like, oh, my God. You know oh what it is? With, with this pandemic, everybody wants an interview. Yeah, that makes sense. Have you gotten just so many requests, I'm assuming? And I usually don't ask famous people, but this book was too good to pass up. So she's going to do February 28th at 10. What a better way to end February, because <laughs> March we've got yeah, Philip Margolin. If you've ever read Philip Margolin, you get to read The Darkest Place, because I cried when I read the fourth chapter. That's all I'll say. He killed off somebody. Oh, oh God. Oh, my God. So, I love when a book thank, makes you cry. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> I hope you send me your next thank one. Are you, you going to do another one with Partners in Crime? Because I've done three with them already. I, yeah, I had a great experience with Partners in Crime. So if they're great. I still have I know. my next book, then I'll do it. But, yes, thank you so much. I know you're busy, and I really appreciate your time. Oh, so that's okay. This, this <laughs> makes my day. I, I relax. I unwind. And this is my pleasure to do this. I mean, I taught oh for 36 God. years. I started teaching when I was 12, I think, they told me. Um, oh, my God. And I work with kids with learning disabilities all my life. And, yeah, when I retired, it's because my mom had Alzheimer's. And somebody had to deal with Medicare, Medicaid, and the home mm-hmm. health agencies. I'm really good at that, too. So, I, you know, this, this relaxes me. And before my sister died, she said, why don't you review a book? I said, you really need some help. So I reviewed a yeah. book, and I, had, I don't cook at all, ever. And Martha Cheeves is still laughing, and after that, I must, I, it, it's nonstop. And this week alone, I had 10 people that asked if they wanted me to review their books. I go, like, how'd you find me? I, you know what? I don't even know. I don't ask. It's just my pleasure because, you know what? Author, reading is important. Authors are important. And this morning, my three-year-old niece called me. She said, I have to tell you, I'm reading a book. I said, Gracie, you just made Anne's day. She said, I'm going to school, but I'm going to tell them about the book, and then I'm going to call you later so we can read a book. I said, finally, someone to follow after me. But thank you so much. Do you ever do do panel shows, too? I do. I haven't done one in a minute, but, yes, I will do panels. There was one in in L.A. that I did. I think that was the last one. and then, yeah, one for, like, 
PW and then AOA. Those were in the summer. But, yeah, I'm always open to panels and love them, and I'm always honored if I'm ever asked. So I do love those if I have an opportunity. Well, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking I haven't quite put it together in my brain, I have really, of doing something to honor female authors for women's history. Well, I love that. That's so awesome. I've done that before. I don't want to talk about famous people. I want to talk about the person, the author, why it is you decided yeah. to become an author, the difference you make because you create these characters. So I will let you know because I, I have, I have yes, plans in mind. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I'd so be honored. Every, everybody, <laughs> the rain stopped because my sister told it to. It's beautiful outside. Uh-oh. Thank you so much, Emily. Everybody have a great day Thank and you. bye. Bye. Bye.